Welcome to Nobody Told Me. I'm Jan Black. If your work environment is stressful, you may find it impacting your home life as well. You might have an overbearing boss or an irritating coworker who's making your life miserable and taking a toll on your mental health. Our guest on this episode is social psychologist Tessa West, who's an expert on difficult workplace relationships. She's an associate professor of psychology at New York University who specializes in interpersonal interaction and communication. And her newest book is called Jerks at Work, Toxic Coworkers and What to Do About Them. Thank you so much for joining us, Tessa. We are thrilled so to talk with you. Thanks so much for having me. Why did you decide to write this book? I mean, it certainly seems like it's much needed. <laughs> well, I think the shorter answer is I was a jerk at work and didn't really realize it until it was too late. And I think, you know, as a social psychologist, I study this stuff. I've been studying awkward social interactions for almost two decades. And if I can't find my way around these problems, I don't really understand who can, you know, we don't really get an education on this stuff. And I thought, it would actually be fun to kind of write a book where I bring in some of my own real life stories and then accompany with some just really basic strategies from social science on, on how to actually handle these difficult social situations at work. Now, what do you mean you were the jerk at work and, and <laughs> why did you not realize it until it was too late? You know, so I ran this um, really horrible committee in, as my job at NYU as a professor where we were in charge of moving offices, kind of, this sounds really lame, but from one side of the building to the other, and it was this brand new renovated space. And my job was to just help orchestrate the move, help put people in new offices. And it felt like it should have been a very simple job and that everybody should have been on board. But what ended up happening was I, I kind of, you know, came up against all of these psychological problems that I just didn't see coming. People really didn't want to move. They felt safe in their space. And one of the main reasons why this was happening is because we get a lot of kind of comfort at work dealing with the same people day in and day out. And we've built relationships with the people around us and people were genuinely terrified to move to a different part of the building or maybe they'd run into their enemy or not see their friend as often. And I really underestimated these things, even as someone who studies these things. So I tried to just kind of ram it through. I tried to tell people that they were whining, that they should just embrace the change you know, they were confused. I told them to read their emails more and to just stop putting this on me. And kind of before long, I had become this bulldozer, a person that I talk about in my book, someone who just wants their agenda to just be mad and I was really impatient with resistance. And so I'm sitting on the subway on the way to Queens, actually to a kid's birthday party. And I, it was Saturday. It wasn't my best day. I was drinking canned rosé <laughs> thinking, wow, why am I having such a hard time with this? I, I think I've become a jerk. You know, I never saw myself as this, but everybody seems to hate me right now. Like what's going on? And kind of like through my own process of looking back in time and, 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 you know, reading these emails and looking at my own tone of voice and things like that, I figured out I actually was. So that wow. became the kind of starting point for the book. Do you think that we're more bothered by jerks at work when we're younger and just starting out in the business world and, and feeling somewhat powerless? Yeah, you know, that's such an interesting question. I think some people when they're young, they actually, uh, at least for me, I didn't realize that jerk behavior was jerk behavior. I thought this is just what being a grown up is like and you just deal with this. But I think definitely now the culture is that um, you are really kind of hit really hard when you first start working that all of a sudden people are just not very nice at work. And, 
you can't really do much about it. You feel powerless because these people are your bosses. They're making decisions. You can't just hop from one job to another. And it's very much a rude awakening for a lot of people when they have that first job where they realize that no one is there to kind of coddle you or make sure you feel okay. Yeah. Um, you know, no one cares. <laughs> and that's a, that's a really hard feeling to deal with. When you well, so then the how do you deal with the jerks at work when you are feeling like, hey, I'm the low man on the totem pole? Yeah, I think this is kind of the most critical question. And I wish I had learned this when I first started working. I think the best thing that you can do is actually form lots of social relationships with people who are allies at work that aren't necessarily your friends. So I think our tendency at work is to kind of find a handful of people that we're super comfortable with, that we can gossip with and complain, you know, that we trust to kind of keep our secrets. It feels good to have those relationships at work. And I think they're important, but to deal with jerks, what you actually need are allies who work at arm's length from you. So people who are broadly social connected to those that you actually don't know very well, who actually aren't emotionally invested in your own problems, that aren't just going to tell you, you know, that you're right or take your side because they're your friend. You want people who are a little bit more removed from you, both emotionally, but also that have connections to people that can get to lay the land at work. And I think this is one thing that's really missing right now with the pandemic is we don't have a good sense of people's reputations, of what their relationships are with others, and forming those allyships and those relationships is the most critical anecdote to dealing with jerks at work. And you need to start young when you first start your first job. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the fact that people are working remotely. I'm wondering, has that lessened our encounters with jerks at work or simply changed the manner in which we experience them? I mean, are we now sending nasty emails instead of creating conflict, uh, you know, in person at the coffee machine? I think that um, the first answer is that jerks will always be jerks and they are quick to evolve to new social situations. (laughs) They're highly adaptable. Jerks are adaptive. (laughs) One thing we don't like to admit to ourselves is a lot of them are talented in one way or another. They would have been fired a long time ago, right? They (laughs) Uh get away with things. And so they can learn to figure out how to not get caught, often because we don't have those more informal social connections that we used to have. So they're learning how to not get caught. But at the same time, we are also motivated to not confront because we don't have to. And I think that's actually a problem. I think confrontation at work is really important. There's an art to doing it well, but avoiding it all out together is actually really problematic. And a lot of us have been doing that for the past couple of years. Interesting. Interesting. I know you've identified in your book, Jerks at Work, you've identified different kinds of jerks. So tell us about that. Give us kind of a thumbnail sketch of of what you've come up with. Sure, sure. So I have seven different types. Some of them are coworkers and some of them are bosses. So the first type is actually my favorite is the kiss up, kick downer. (laughs) That person who is terrible to everybody at the same level as them or beneath them when the boss isn't around, but they have some secret talent that the boss really loves and they often get away with their bad behavior because they bring something to the team. So fighting them is hard because the boss loves them. So he's kind of going up against that. The next is the credit stealer. So we've all been in this situation at work where we come up with a great idea or we do a ton of work and someone kind of just comes up and takes all that credit kind of right out from under us. And often the hardest part about this is they tend to be friends, sometimes even bosses that do this, people that we've trusted with, you know, giving them our good ideas and discussing things with them. Um, The next is the bulldozer. So this is that person who talks a lot in meetings. If you've been on Zoom, 
they take over the whole screen, you know, they interrupt people. But the kind of worst thing that they do is they go behind the scenes to get their way. And their magical tactic is to attack the process if they don't like the outcome. So they can get people in power to take their side by saying, well, it wasn't really fair how we had this discussion. The vote wasn't really a vote. You know, they question processes to get their way. And so you find yourself in an impasse and having lots of arguments and teams that you didn't used to have before this person showed up. The next one is the free rider. So, you know, free riding is actually the most common experience, not just in humans, but in animals as well. Um, this is kind of taking advantage of the work of the hard, you know, hard workers around you. So free riders will often find teams that are really well-functioning, conscientious, um, full of, you know, good chemistry, and they are well-liked and have a lot of kind of, um, you know, social capital. So we let them get away with it. And, you know, it ends up kind of really harming the team's progress in the long run. And then the next three types are managers. So the first is the micromanager. This person exerts top-down control over everything from tiny little things to big important things. And they do it to everyone, you know, workers who need it and workers who don't. They don't really have a very good, um, you know, method of, of micromanaging those who maybe need more attention, but stepping back for those who don't. And then you have kind of the opposite end of that continuum, which is the neglectful boss. So these people often are disappearing and then showing up at the 11th hour and exerting tons of control over your work. And they often do it, they micromanage kind of at the last minute to feel in control because they know they've been neglectful. So the worst part about these folks is they do this disappearing act and there's a lot of uncertainty of when they're gonna show back up, change everything and then disappear again. And most of them are also actually micromanagers. They kind of toggle between the two. Mm -hmm. And then the last is kind of the most pathological boss, the gaslighter. So this person lies, but lots of people lie at work, um, but their lies are intended to create an alternative reality. And often they're doing this to either, you know, get away with something that's really bad or create a little inside group that they don't want others to be a part of. And they do this by cutting you off socially. So if you've ever had a boss who told you, keep your head down, don't speak up in meetings, nobody likes you, I'm the only reason why you work here, or you're part of something really special, you can't talk about it. These are all techniques that the gaslighter uses to cut you off so that you, their little secret doesn't get out. And those are the seven types. How helpful is it to vent to other coworkers about these jerks at work, whether it's a boss or, or a coworker? I think that venting is important. I think that um, venting alone probably won't get you to where you need to be. I think you need to kind of you need to vent strategically uh, to people who can actually help you and be careful when you vent to, to, to ask as much about sort of what's going on with someone else's behavior towards others, not just you. Um, and I think our tendency is to complain and then walk away, complain and walk away. And that doesn't actually kind of help us strategically accomplish what we need to do. Um, I'd also say that gossip is really important at work and it kind of gets a bad reputation, but it helps manage people's reputations but you have to be very careful who you gossip to because you never know who's aligned with your jerk at work. Right, right. Well, so so how should you address these 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 people? Yeah, I think your kind of your first question is, do you want to confront them head on, or is it even a good idea to confront them head on? Mm -hmm. um, and then if if the answer is yes, I have strategies for doing that. I can walk you through. If the answer is no. Um, you know, usually you don't want to confront people like the kiss up, kick down, or who know exactly what they're doing. If you confront, they'll just get more conniving, um, you know, or the gaslighter. 
So those folks, you really need to go back to those allies. You need to form these connections and you need to kind of have a group of people who stand behind you when you do approach the boss or the manager about them. But if you do want to confront, and I think there's certainly types of jerks you should confront, micromanagers, neglectful bosses, credit stealers, free riders, um, even bulldozers can all be confronted, but in a certain way that will bring down their defenses and will increase the chances of improving your relationship. And I think we're not very good at this. We, we actually kind of learn how to do it with our spouses and our kids, but at work, we, we're not so great at actually confronting. We, most of us actually avoid it even during exit interviews. And I think the first thing you want to keep in mind is when you confront don't lead with the problem, you can either kind of enter the conversation in sideways by leading with something that is tangential to the problem. So an example of that would be if you have a micromanager, you could say, I want to talk to you about our big picture goals. I feel like you and I aren't aligned on our goals. Ultimately, you're not, or they wouldn't be micromanaging you. So you can have that conversation first before you talk about their behavior that's disruptive. The other thing you can try to do if there isn't kind of a sideways entryway into the conversation is you can actually open the conversation with something that you would like them to do more of that you actually like. You know, sometimes this is a stretch, it's hard to think of things, but when you start with a compliment and say, I really like it when you do X, I wish you would do more of that. You know, it makes me feel good. It helps me be productive. It lowers people's defenses and it will make you less anxious when you have to bring up the problem. And then when you do bring up the problem, don't talk about how you feel about it. Don't talk about why they do it. Just be really specific with the behavior that they're doing that's disruptive. You know, don't say you smother me or you don't trust me. Say you only give me 20 minutes to turn around emails and I don't think, I don't think that's a realistic amount of time. The more specific you focus on the behavior, the less likely they are to just kind of argue with you over whether it's happening, the less defensive they are. And I think this kind of basic strategy of leading with compliments, focusing on specific behaviors, and then at the end, asking for feedback yourself, this is something that we know works in marriages. In fact, marital counselors have been, do have been doing this for 40 years to get people to talk about conflict. And it, and it works as well when we're dealing with difficult issues with our colleagues and our bosses. And I know you say that jerk at work problems can really be the death of a team. Tell us more about that. I think it's really interesting. Most of us think that the teams that are going to fail are those that have lazy people where you know, no one's motivated or aren't cohesive. But actually, sometimes the irony of jerks at work is our strongest teams are the most susceptible, um, often because for a couple of reasons. One, conscientious teams full of go-getters that really like each other are really quick to make up for the shortcomings of their jerks at work. In fact, there's this really fascinating study showing that if you have a free rider on your team and your, and your team members are all conscientious, you actually overcompensate, work harder and produce more than teams that don't have a free rider. And your manager sees this and actually gives you more work because of it. So it becomes this vicious cycle. And I think we're often kind of unaware that this is happening to us in the moment. Um, the other thing is if you're a team that gets along really well, you're super cohesive, you're used to kind of collective rewarding, bosses tend to leave you alone because you're doing well without their interference. And say so they, they don't tend to do things like have one-on-one -on -one short check-in meetings with the team to make sure everyone's doing well. Like they're putting out fires, they're dealing with whatever their manager's telling them to do. So you don't have someone actually checking in and communicating with the team to make sure everyone 
is doing the work that they agreed to do and they're not kind of splitting it up into 12 parts and you know distributing it equally among their team members. So I feel like really hard workers, really strong teams tend to actually be very susceptible, whereas weak teams with people that don't get along, they tend to have more eyes on them. Their problems are more transparent earlier on and bosses can kind of sense them and they're looking for them. Um, it's kind of like if you've had a heart attack once and you're going to the doctor for lots of maintenance and lots of check-ins, Versus you just, you know, never go to the doctor. And until you have that first coronary, you're not going to actually know what the problem is. And we often see this happening um, to teams at work. And it's a slow bleed. So it's just death by a thousand paper cuts in these teams where eventually everyone just kind of throws up their hands and gives up um, after, you know, many, many months. And I know you've measured the stress people feel when interactions go poorly, how that stress manifests in the body and how quickly stress can spread from one person to another. I find that fascinating. Tell us more. Yes, stress contagion is a super fascinating topic. In fact, the first paper I published on this was um, right after I had my son. And it's a study on how if you stressed out moms, you put them through what's called a tree or social stress test. So you have to give a speech in front of strangers who are kind of giving you dirty looks. <laughs> they immediately transfer that stress over to their babies and we could see changes in the baby's physiology. So if the moms wow. had elevated heart rate and blood pressure, the babies would too, as young as six months. And just through subtle nonverbal behaviors, how they played with their kids, that stress can pass over very easily from one person to another. And I think at work, what we often find is you know, we spend more time at work than we do at home. So the stress we experience with our bosses and our colleagues and our coworkers, the, the effect is much stronger from work to home than home to work. And this surprises people. But if you think of just the sheer number of hours you spend at work, it makes sense. So your kids are going to suffer. Your partner is going to suffer. And um, there's direct, you know, physiological and relational outcomes of the stress you experience at work, having that elevated cortisol and blood pressure right into when you show up at home. And kind of one of the fascinating findings is the more you try to suppress it and push it down, the worse it is, the more it actually affects your kids and your spouse and your friends and so forth. Wow. That, that surprises me. So, so how do you avoid it? How, if you are in a stressful situation, if you are dealing with all these jerks at work, how do you leave it at work and not make it impact the rest of your life? That's such a great question. I, you know, it's really hard to leave stress from one place to another. You can do small things to help decrease your stress at work, even if you have a jerk at work. So I think my answer would be, you can't actually turn stress off and then, you know, try to start over once you're in a new environment. You can do small things like change where you sit in a room or the bathroom that you use or, you know, where you park your car. These little things actually really add up. So kind of one example I talk about in my book is if you have a jerk at work that you have to go to a physical meeting with, our temptation is to sit on the opposite side of the table as them because it's farther away, but it's actually better to sit on the same side of the table as them with one person in between you because it blocks eye contact with that person. So little things like that where you can just enlist a friend to say, can you just sit between us really can actually help your stress in ways that really add up. So I'm a big fan of trying to attack those small day-to-day -day stressors at work even in situations that don't feel under your control. And then over time, you'll experience less cumulative stress and then you'll take less of it home with you. What about in the moment, if you're in a situation where someone has really upset you at work and maybe you're even feeling like you're gonna cry or you're gonna get very upset, yeah. um, what can you do in the moment? 
in the moment, I would say, don't try to suppress it. So don't try to not cry. Don't try to not be upset. Go somewhere private and just have those emotions. Just feel it out if you can. You know, at some point it's going to leak out, but we do have some control over when that leakage occurs. Um, I've certainly been in this situation a lot of times and a walk around the block can really actually help you regulate those emotions so they don't explode at inappropriate times, but also not suppressing them. Um, and there's research on, you know, how we control anger and things like this in our relationships and even counting to 10 can help. But I think taking a short walk is the best thing that you can do in those, in those moments. But whatever you do, don't try to push it down and not feel the thing because it's going to pop up at some point and probably not at a time point when is ideal for you. It's going to be when you're arguing with your spouse over the dishwasher or someone's late or something like that's going to trigger it. And then it's going to spill out, have this negative effect that's worse than maybe even the trigger was in the first place. Then you're going to have to deal with the fallout of that. It's just going to create a vicious cycle. How can a boss eliminate jerks at work? I think there's a lot the bosses can do that they don't actually do. Um, the first thing is jerks. It's important to know that jerks at work aren't born. They're kind of bred in toxic work environments. So sure, we have tendencies, but most of us need to be in a situation that brings those tendencies out. And I think that the one thing that bosses often fail to do is communicate with their team. So they, they hand over communication, maybe sometimes to a jerk inadvertently, or they're too busy to communicate with the people that work for them. Short five-minute meetings once a week where they ask them very specific questions about the work they're doing, whether they're doing any work they didn't agree to do. Um, you know, don't ask, are you doing well? Are you doing poorly? Ask very specific questions about the tasks that people are assigned to sort of fish out issues and make sure that even if people are one or two steps below you, you have those short five-minute meetings. Failure to communicate is the number one reason why jerks go unnoticed at work because bosses just assume that no news is good news. And I think that's the biggest mistake they make. So if they do these short meetings, they don't need to be 30 minutes. They really can be five to 10 minutes. That will help them see the red flags early. At what point should you quit? At what point should you just maybe say, I, I, I'm dealing with too many jerks. Life is too short. I can't do this. I think that's a really critical question. And I, you know, it's, it's hard to tell people, try all these things, try them again, try them again. You're not trying hard enough. Some <laughs> environments are just full of difficult people. You know, the one sort of lesson we know from clinical and social psychology is that people have to want to change and they have to be willing to hear you out and embrace the challenge of changing and admit to some mistakes. So if the person you're dealing with is absolutely refusing to admit to engaging in these behaviors or admit to how these behaviors are affecting the workplace or simply aren't motivated to change because there's an environment that encourages their behavior. You know, they actually win by doing these things then I think you're in a tough spot. Um, you know, so for the most part, we can all move the needle a little bit with a few exceptions. Gaslighters, you should just get out. Don't ever try to change those people. Um, but people need to show motivation to want to change. And there needs to be a culture of wanting better behavior, not worse behavior. And not all cultures have that. There's certainly lots of workplace environments where being cutthroat Machiavellian is a way to get ahead. And that's just the way it is. You have a quiz for people to take to learn if they are jerks at work. What kinds of questions should they be asking themselves? You know, I think one of the hardest things we deal with is just asking ourselves, am I this person and looking, you know, in the mirror. So I think what you want to ask yourself is what is the worst case scenario version of me? And we all have the person who, when you're the most stressed out under the most pressure, getting the least guidance and support, 
some form of jerk comes out of you. Maybe you're a micromanager because you're anxious and it helps you feel in control. Maybe you're a neglectful boss because you shut down and go watch Netflix all day. Whatever that version of you is, you need to identify that person and you need to know what triggers that. You often can't control those triggers, but you can control how you respond to them. And so I know what my kind of Achilles heel is at work. I know that I tend to be neglectful when I'm overwhelmed and I tend to bulldoze when I feel like no one's listening to me. So I look out for those red flags and then I build alternative strategies of what to do when I, when I see those things coming. You know, Tessa, our show is called Nobody Told Me. And we always ask our guests, what is it that nobody told you? Uh, what's your lesson that you would like to maybe pass on to other people? So, so what is it that nobody told you about jerks at work and, and getting along in the workplace that you had to learn the hard way? So nobody told me when I first started working that all of these crappy jobs I would have growing up would actually turn out to be really critical lessons learned. And I think if I had known that going into working in retail, working in a video store, working in restaurants, I would have had a very different outlook. So if you're just starting off at work or you're going through the growing pains of these jobs, you will learn things from these jobs. It will help you, you know, 10, sometimes even 20 years down the road. So no one told me that. And I really wish I knew that, but I'm glad I know it now because I was able to write about a lot of these things in my book. <laughs> yeah, experience. How can people connect with you on social media and the internet and learn more about the book and your work? You can go to my website, tessawestauthor.com, where I have um, anything media related is posted. I also have my quizzes there. Um, are you a jerk? Are you an effective ally? So you can take them and get immediate feedback. And you can find me on Twitter, Tessa West NYU. I'm on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on all the places. Uh, yeah, but my website is a good place to start. Well, Tessa, thank you so much for joining us. This has been really fun. And I think it's also been informative. And I know it's been helpful for our listeners. Thank you so much for having me. Again, our thanks to Tessa West, whose latest book is called Jerks at Work, Toxic Coworkers and What to Do About Them. I'm Jan Black. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us.